When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flipping Bats. Today is going to be so much fun. I am joined by hopefully future Hall of Famer, but six-time All-Star MVP award winner, Joey Votto, is about to join me in just a second. One of the best first basemen that we have seen on the field, but he is a legend off of the field as well. Really funny on social media now, but a really, really good and interesting person as well. So I'm really excited for you all to hear this interview. We're going to really dive into, one, why he got onto social media this year, but really into his approach to the game of baseball, the mental side of things, his approach at the plate. I am so excited for this one. I'm excited for you all to hear it. He is truly one of the interesting humans on the planet, but one of the most interesting guys in baseball for sure. So I know you all are going to enjoy it. So let's get to him now. Reds first baseman, Joey Votto. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I want to get started with with the good stuff here. Like I said, I, I truly believe you're a Hall of Famer, one of the best first basemen to ever do it. But this year, in your 16th year in the big leagues, you have become one of the best social media guys of all time as well, which has been remarkable to see. What this year made you say, hey, I'm going to get on TikTok, I'm going to get on Twitter, Instagram, everything. I'm just going for it. Um, kind of, uh, probably just FOMO, just fear of missing out. I, I you know, you only have one, a, a small window of, of access to so many different people and uh, being able to connect with fans. You know, I think just feeling like everybody else is having fun and um, I didn't get to. So I've been dabbling with it. It's tough, though. It's tough because you have to to, I have to perform. And so being too being distracted with that sort of stuff is is what I'm most concerned about. But I've I've found little windows. Does it get tricky? Because when you when you do do a TikTok or something, you're also performing on the field. Your team wins. I feel like every time you make a TikTok, you hit a home run that night. So it kind of becomes this tricky situation of, wait, I want to perform on the field, but also when I do this, it correlates to the field. That's, um, yeah, no, I, I, I try to time them based on the matchup. If I think we've been a shot. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I've had some fun with it. And then at, at other times, you know, the thing that I most worry about is, um, the audience, you know, I, I, I never want to offend. I don't want to lose sleep over the idea of, uh, you know, one of my younger fans or, or a family gathering together, you know, sharing the TikTok and there's a gun sound or there's inappropriate language or anything, just anything in, inappropriate in general. Like my, my, um, 
rule of thumb is if there's any doubt at all, you're not posting it. Mm -hmm. If I have to ask somebody else, is this okay, then don't post it. And so, um, you know, I've nixed so many things that are probably in line with my my behind the scenes humor, but for the general audience, it's, it's not appropriate. So that's the thing that stands stands out to me most about um, using social, making sure that um, making sure that it's in line with with the people that are following, and make sure that it's it's res- it's respectful. So. Yeah, well, in my mind, it, it also gives us a glimpse of more who you are, and it's been really cool to see that and, and the person you are as well. So for you, I, I want to go back a little bit to the beginning for you. You're from, you're from Canada. Obviously, hockey is a massive sport there. So how did you go about getting into baseball originally over when most of your friends are probably choosing hockey? Hockey is an expensive sport, and it, 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 it's a great time commitment. I mean, it's a, it's a be there for 5 a.m. skates, traveling, um, you know, and it just didn't, I wasn't, I think my family, my parents could sense that I wasn't passionate at all about it. Um, I played a ton of road hockey. I probably played more road hockey and basketball um, and, and, and pick up football than, than baseball. And I don't even think it's close, um, but road hockey, I'd play almost every single day after school. Uh, we had a little tennis court down down in our, you know in our neighborhood, yeah. and uh, the the during the winter season the uh, the nets would be down, so we'd play virtually every day, and then we play for on the weekend we play for like seven eight hours. We play all day. I would play goaltender, and uh, I actually <laughs> think that's part of the reason why I've I've been okay with the glove in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, as far as strapping on ice skates and um, and and playing playing in a league it's just it just didn't match up most most nhl prospects are identifiable before they're like 15 really and oh my goodness like if you're not on a legit team by the time if you're not like a legit recognizable player by the time you're like 12 14 i i don't want to speak out of turn here but i'm pretty confident that everybody i've spoken to is like if you're 16 excuse me before 16 they pretty much know if you're going to be an NHL prospect. So I, I would have started too late as yeah. it is. So. so then you end up, obviously you choose baseball, you're really good at it. And then you end up getting drafted in the second round at 18 years old. What, when you look back on that day as a young kid, not even really an adult yet, what, what's a memory that sticks out to you from your draft day? So on that day, I remember um, going to school and bringing, you know, you know, cell cell phones now are so commonplace on Mm -hmm. everyone's hip, but I brought a cell phone to school, my parents' cell phone. And um, I remember answering calls at school for the, for the draft. I remember it being the first day I felt like cool at school. Like I, I remember like really being under the radar almost my entire high school uh, experience, never in the cool, cool group, Mm -hmm. never social. I didn't go out to the weekend parties. I didn't get invited to them. I was like, you know, I was quiet. I was back at the classroom. I didn't say very much. I didn't, I didn't date in high school. And so like most of my time was like playing in the basketball group, 
lifting with some friends and then going and doing baseball after school every single day. And I did that over and over and over for years. And I remember having this phone on me and getting drafted and then, you know, more or less like starting the starting my, you know, the next step and the buzz like inside of the inside of the school, there was a few people that uh, I previously thought, you know, didn't even know I existed. Yeah. And they were cool, <laughs> recognized what was going on, and they everything seemed to like feel different. And um, yeah, it was it was a it was like the one little cool stretch in my in my high school experience. So that's so yeah. cool because I I never had one. I was not cool in high school. No parties, yeah. no nothing, and it was just baseball, baseball, baseball. So um, yeah, that's how it, that's how it is for most 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 committed. Uh, you know whether it's you know, athletes or people that are doing, you know, who knows any, uh, so many different things, acting, doing, you know, working in a family business. So yeah, that's just the nature of it, the commitment. So just a few years later, about five years later, you end up making your debut for the Reds 2007, you make your debut. And I love asking guys about this because, you know, I got to the point in my career where it was close, uh, but never got that call and was a career minor leaguer, played there for five years, never got the call. So I love asking guys that did get it. What was that moment like? The moment you were called in and you were told, you're going to be a big leaguer. I'm sorry that you didn't get the call. That's, um, that's a bummer. You know, I, I, um, I was in a, a, um, a car last night heading back to the hotel from, from the ballpark, and we were talking about he was a – a professional uh, player, if I'm not mistaken. And he didn't have that experience. Oh, no, sorry. His brother was a 12-year minor league player, and he oh, never God. had the major league experience. And how it's it's um, it's unfortunate for some that give so much of their life and to to what they to come up short of the of the big goal. And so I. I you know, it bums me. It bums me out in a way. I I understand it's a business. I understand it's competition. And but um, to to set your to set your uh, target on something and to yeah. come up short must be heartbreaking. Um, for me, I remember getting so. My minor league experience was um, pretty frustrating. If I'm honest with you, you know, I at twenty nineteen years old, they started a uh, take a strike rule. So from double, excuse me, a ball down. So high, low, high rookie, low rookie. Is this your organization uh, in itself? Yeah, organizational okay. policy where you had to take the first strike of every 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 at bat. Okay. And that meant facing Justin Verlander in, in the Florida State League down 0-1 automatically. He piped a regular fastball, and then came you know came you know the the filthiness. And um, I remember almost all of my teammates perform poorly. Like there was no good offensive performers uh, at the Florida state league level. There was very few good performers at the Dayton level, excuse me, the low a level. And I remember feeling held back. And I was one of the few that was fortunate that got the green light, which was you were allowed to swing. They would allow two guys per lineup to swing this is ridiculous and so every now and then every now and then they would say you have the green light and you have the green light and i think i got the green light probably as much as anybody if not more than anybody on the team and so 
um, here and there, you get the green light. Other than that, you're standing there taking taking pitches. So, you know, I I'm, I wasn't viewed as a prospect. I wasn't viewed as as um, a future major league hitter. And people didn't understand how difficult they were at. This was, you know, this was for a young hitter. And so I got to double A and um, I won the most valuable player there. I, I was top five in stolen bases. I was top one or two in every single offensive category because I didn't have to take a strike anymore. And I remember thinking when I was there, like I was 22 years old. Why am I not getting called up? And I was furious. I was furious because I was like, you held me back last year. I'm a good base runner. Offensively, offensively I belong. And here you are holding me back. And then they had me repeat. They had me go to AAA and play a full season there. And so I played the entire minor league season. And on the very last day of the, 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 the AAA season, they called me up. And I was in a foul mood the entire time. Like, I, I didn't feel joy. I felt resentment. I felt uh, anger. And I felt like I'm going to make you pay when it comes to con- contracts. You, I will make you pay. Um, I will never forget this. And, um, you know, part of being competitive is being petty. And I couldn't have been more petty. Yeah. Every single one of, my, one of my contracts, that was absolutely a thought. You know, you guys held me back. All right. Wait yeah. till you see how much you're going to pay me sort of <laughs> thing. And uh, I timed my most valuable player right before arbitration. Couldn't have been better. <laughs> um, you know, I performed well the year after. And then I ended up signing a longer deal. But, um, yeah, it's like that Michael. It's like that Michael Jordan quote where he's like, "And I took that personal, you know." So, <laughs> so you know. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I didn't feel satisfied when I got called yeah. up. I wanted to get up to the league. I I looked at my favorite players, all Hall of Fame players, and they were up in the league at twenty one, twenty two, younger even nineteen twenty. And I I'm not, I wasn't nineteen twenty guy just because I wasn't a good defensive player and I needed some seasoning. And by the time I was like 21, 22, I was absolutely in my I was absolutely ready. I mean, if you look at my early career defensive numbers, they were excellent the second I made it to league. Yeah. So clearly they're clearly like I was a good defensive player um in the minor leagues I, I, when I was in the back end of my the, my minor league time. So I was just I was in a foul mood about it. And I didn't I don't remember it going away until I'm still in a foul mood. About it. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I've got, I, I, I see all these young players get called up and good. I'm so happy for them, but I'm like, Oh my goodness. I've got to play till I'm, you know, 45 to make up for <laughs> those 20 through 24 year, year old years. So, so I, I want to talk to you about this a little bit. Cause there, that can be a struggle mentally and I like talking to guys about this because a lot of people don't often realize how mental the game of baseball truly is I mean it, it can be a grind it can wear on you and I, I struggled with that sort of stuff in the minor leagues you know I would go 0 for 4 which turned into an 0 for 8 into an 0 for 12 because I'm frustrated mentally that I have to take a strike if it's the ninth inning we're down a run how did oh, yeah. you how did you manage that mentally? Like you, you harnessed your frustration, but turned it into becoming a better and better and better ball player, as opposed to the opposite, which is it can let you can, it it can bog you down and it can ruin a career. Honestly, how did you handle that mentally in the mental side of the game? Um, If you're asking about 
generally speaking, how I handle the mental side of the game or that particular experience? No, I guess meant like rather. currently, like how do you how do you now handle the mental side of the game? How do you handle failure? Not well. Uh, a lot of nights, all nights, with the lights out, you know, in bed, just staring at the ceiling. How am I going to do this? I better do this. What, you know, just a lot of like, you know, I've, I've been trying to spend a bit more time, um, um, meditating, but also just practicing mindfulness at random times in the day. And so like in the past, I would ruminate, I would just like endlessly ruminate just like cycles of rumination and what i think i'm what i think i'm realizing now maybe not realization but when i get in those like cycles of of rumination i just try to bring presence to to the feeling mm -hmm. and um i try to stop that that cycle and just bring presence to the feeling and the feeling is like feeling out of control feeling uh, like i don't like i'm powerless feeling like I don't, uh, I want something, you know, coveting something. And um, I think there's, there's, that needs to stop at some point. And so I've been trying lately to just sit in that really, really uncomfortable feeling that can happen often. I mean, I'm not used to hitting 220. My job is important to me performing well is important to me. I want to I want to be in charge of how long I'm going to play. And I don't want somebody to say, ah, you're not good enough anymore. Right. We're going to have to move on from you. I know I don't want that. I want to be able to say that's enough. Um, and so, um, you know, another thing too, I don't know how much all that rumination and all that stuff helps, but almost all of my career to answer your question, almost all of my career, I just played with, you ask about the mental side. I just played with like anger and rage. You did. Um, yeah. From a, for a good percentage of my career, you know, especially I was angry before um, I was angry because of the minor league thing for a long time. And that helped you for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Here's yeah. I don't know. You, so I was angry at that for a while. And then after my father died for a long time, I was pretty angry. So about a, for a while, for about a 10 year stretch, I play with a lot of rage and um, it's unhealthy. It burns you out. Yeah. And I experienced burnout. And at some point I need to go, I need to, I need to play with love, with passion, with joy. I look forward to going to the ballpark. So I have to find that like streamlined version of like not being too light on the passion and joy, like the, the softness, that feeling of like, with like also that a little bit of that determination and competitiveness. It's a real, real sweet spot of, it's almost like when you're doing anything, you know, shooting a basket, golfing, hitting, you want to be kind of easy at the plate, but you can't be too easy. And you want to be like, you know, cocked and ready at the plate, but you can't be too. So you have to find that sweet spot right. that works for you. And I'm working on that. Do you think that's part of the reason why, social media came into play this year you're trying to find that line of just enjoying things a little bit and also playing with an anger on the field i like i said i don't play with anger anymore um but um i think because last year i felt like i thought i felt like last year i figured out hitting for mm -hmm. me and it's not true true it's elusive um but last year I performed so well and so easily that I was like, 
all right, now you can have some fun on the side because yeah. baseball be easy. But what I realized was like, you know, almost all of my success came off the fastball and I don't get as many, like, like as many middle cut fastballs as I used to with more breaking balls. So I had to make some small adjustments in my, in my hitting style. And that came two, three months late. And I'm only now realizing that, you know, you're not going to just get split the plate fastballs just because everyone's excited about their spin and excited about how hard they throw. That's, that's, it feels like a, uh, an old style, at least against me. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what do you do when that anger comes back? You say you don't play with anger anymore, but if you're over three at the plate, does it creep back in and you start playing with an anger and you need to manage that or do you embrace it or how do you handle that? I, I think that, so I, I feel like technique trumps everything, technique and talent. And so I lean into that whenever I start getting, uh, feeling like I'm not in control, like I should, you know, dissatisfaction. I just remind myself, well, you're emotionally not going to get out of this. You're going to solve this with, with proper technique and execution, concentrate on that. So that's where my head's at. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you, you mentioned technique, your approach is something and I'll tell you this. When I was in the minor leagues, I, I struggled. You know, you go from college facing, you know, upper 80s to 90. Nobody has a slider. They have curveball. Next thing you know, you're facing 92 mile an hour sliders. And you're like, what am I even, what am I seeing right now? So I really had to change and figure out a new approach at the plate. And I studied you endlessly, tirelessly at night because your approach, you four times in your career have walked more then you've struck out, which is remarkable. And I couldn't figure it out at the plate. I got a little bit better. But when you think about your approach, how would you explain it to somebody? I'll, I'll, I'll answer. Uh, I'll reply to what you said in, in kind of a, a roundabout way. So when I was in the minor leagues, all my favorite hitters did that. And I obsessed about it, the walk strikeouts thing. Mm -hmm. Obsessed about it. And I couldn't ever seem to get over the hump on the strikeout walk thing. I always had more strikeouts than walks. And, but I dedicated myself to it. And eventually I ended up flipping them. And it, it helps when you get, when you're a power hitter and, and, and they're, they feel threatened, or if you're a dangerous hitter in a spot where they feel like they can give up runs. So you might get, excuse me, it might get pitched around. I've had lots of different approaches, different stuff. There was a stretch of time where, um, there was a stretch of time where all I was thinking about was hitting the ball to left field. I, I was like pretty obsessed about that. I never wanted to pull the ball. And then other times where all I thought about was getting deep into counts. And then other times where I was like, I will never strike out. <laughs> and then other times where all I want to do is hit homers. Um, and I think that it's all about like what, what the, what the, current pitching culture allows if if you're facing you know i'm a left-handed hitter and the strike zone used to be a little wider for a left-handed pitch excuse me left-handed hitter so if they were calling pitches off the plate away and they felt like they could steal strikes there i'm not going to just get around the ball to hook it and pull it to right field that's 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 not a style that works for me and i also think that that's a style that's that's not really repeatable um, I would try to hit the ball to left, stay inside the ball, be able to handle down and away changeups and left-handed sliders and down and away fastballs from left-handers and then sinking fastballs from right-handers. 
I'd get, you know, you'd get, you know, you get like, you know, fooled on that inside fastball. But if you figure out a way to kind of block that and foul it off, you can handle most of the rest of the, the, the strike zone. So, yeah, no, I, I, um, different styles in my entire career. It's always, it's always changed based on what the current, you know, it's funny. You have, you, uh, um, I think Gallardo from the Brewers Mm -hmm. had a style that's very similar to today's style. He had like a straight spinny fastball and like a slider and he was like 90, 93. And I I remember may not have been too spinny, but like, I remember being straight. I remember always having a hard time hitting it. I, I hated facing him. And it's funny now, like most pitchers pitch like him and I've had to make changes to my style to be able to match the entire league. So, you know, I'd faced, some of the right-handers that had a real sink and I'd handle them fine, trying to drive the ball the other way. And then I face him and I felt always felt kind of blocked. Like I couldn't get the bat out there. Like I can't beat the ball to a spot. It's asking you to pull the ball, but my style doesn't match that, you know? And, and so, yeah. Well, I I didn't even think about this when I was preparing to talk to you, but literally as we were discussing hitting, it came to my mind. I have watched you for hours. I would go home. I was 0 for 4 because of course I was 0 for 4. I'd go home. I'd sit in my bed. I'd be angry at myself and I would watch film after film after film of you and your approach. So cool to be able to talk to you about that. I also want to talk about your bats because this is interesting. I'll say one thing. You know, that's that's common for most hitters. You know, I did that like crazy too. I watched Helton. I watch bonds every single night and now I'll watch hitters. The same thing. I'll watch, um, the, the fellow from Houston, your, your, your Yeah. Um, I'll watch, you know, bets or trout, especially when I'm not going well, I'll make sure I watch hitters as a reminder of what, what the good hitters are doing right now. I'll watch uh, Goldschmidt. What does a hot streak look like? Because we all want to be hot. Right. We all want to perform well. Hot streak. Okay, what does it look like? Okay, it's they're always on time for the fastball. They hit the ball throughout through the middle of the field. Uh, they get their A swings off a lot. They swing and miss on occasion, but then they'll time uh, a mistake breaking ball or a, a mistake split changeup thing. So, like, I'll watch them just as reminders. So that's not – I do it now. I do it now. There's not a lot of old hitters that I would watch because, you know, the style of pitching is different now. Mm-hmm. So it's best to watch the modern day guys. So, yeah, I've always kind of been that way. I used to watch Manny. I used to watch, I watched, you know, who I watch a lot right now. Yeah. I'll just go back into 15, 16 on our, on our bats program, which is the video hub that we share. Mm-hmm. I'll watch old David Ortiz at bats. Oh, you know, wow. I want to know. Yeah. I'll watch just the bat. It's so important to me to watch the bat from OO all the way to the result because it tells me, you know, the, the watching the bats tells me everything I need to know about what he's trying to do, uh, how he reacts to particular pitches. And then I need to watch the entire game to get a feel for, Oh, okay. He was feeling kind of off that day, or he kind of got lucky that day with, with a particular result. Um, so the, the, the box score is a little deceptive. So, you know, I'll, I'll go home and just watch those, especially when I'm not doing well. And I feel like, to be honest with you, I feel like my swing's locked in now, so I don't really need to. Um, but when I'm going not so good, I use that as inspiration. So that's common. I always I remember to talking to Miguel Cabrera when I was, you know, my brother's nine years older than me. So I've gotten to be around him a good bit. And then I was playing in college and really would like to pick his brain if I was in the clubhouse. And then 
played professionally in the same dugout as him during some big league spring training games. And we've talked about approach a lot. And I've always wondered how common this is, but I'll always remember one time he told me, there's times in the first at bat of a game with less than two strikes, I'll swing like an idiot at a slider and look awful on it to set up that later in the game. I know Mm -hmm. if I look bad on it early, when the game matters, when something's big, I know I'll get it again and then I'll do damage. Is that like a common thing? Have you done that? So to me, when I hear that and I don't, you know, Miguel's one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. It's almost like he also, I'll say this and I'd love to hear his thoughts on this. Um, It's almost it's hitters want to know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And if you swing and miss, no one wants to swing and miss. But that that ugly swing and miss guarantees a future slider from his perspective. He can sit into, he can feel confident that he's going to see that pitch. And that confidence, I think, gives him something. Yeah. And that he has a target. Oftentimes, it's, we, we, we have not strong targets. So like he'll have a target on something. So that confidence, having a target on something, um, and then I don't know, that feeling of control is so important sometimes. And he may not, I don't know if you, you know, there's obviously no like little mini studies on something like that, but like that he feels like the ball's coming. Like I know that feeling. It's yeah. less about the upcoming, less about the upcoming moment. Mm-hmm. And more about, I I believe that I'm going to get something. He may mean every 100% of what he said as far as, far as like, I prefer to have, mm-hmm. to dump a pitch early to be able to get it later in the game. And, and I may be misinterpreting what he's saying or over overanalyzing it. But like, I like the feeling of knowing and feeling like I'm in control. And the, the, the worst of bats are the ones where you're like, you step out, you get in, you step out, you, you get back in the box and you're like, what, what is coming? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's why I can't stand rehab stints. It's why I don't like facing, you know, unknowns in spring training because I don't, well, I, I don't know what's coming. Dude, Justin and, says this all the time. The worst thing is going down to the minor leagues and nobody knows how to play baseball. They're all swinging out of their ass the first pitch of the bat and yeah. pitchers don't know what to throw. <laughs> he hates it. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's having a target, having objectives, uh, is is helpful for some some guys. So I'm not. It's it's interesting hearing that from Miguel, who's a fantastic hitter. Yeah, still, unbelievable. Still, He's still doing it. Yeah. Well, and and so are you as well. So um, I, I I've always wanted to ask you about your bats because you're one of the only guys left that. Nobody swings Ash anymore, really. And the reason for that is interesting. And this start, I started hearing about this when I was playing as well, actually. Ash kind of, like, died uh, in America. The, there, was, uh, there was some beetle. It got into all the Ash. Ash died, and it has gone out of the game of baseball. Maybe that's why I lost all of my pop, because I swung an Ash bat. Me, me, who knows? So you still, at least up to this year, swung it and apparently bought out all of Marucci's Ash bats. What, why... Ash, why have you been so dedicated to it? And even throughout this whole thing that's happening with them, have you wanted to continue to use it? It's just feel. Um, you're used to tool, and I've been doing this for a bit now. And I purchased a bunch of bats, and I've kind of tucked them away. But uh, 
Yeah, just feel. Yeah. You know, uh, you know. So you ask a golfer why they like a specific putter um, when there's so many nicer, newer options. So, or a painter why they like particular brushes when there's nicer, newer options, or you know. Yeah. So no, it's just feel. Yeah. So that is you. You just heard about this and bought up all the rest of Marucci's stockpile and put them somewhere. I don't think it's entirely true about there being no ash. So I don't, I, you'd have to ask <laughs> someone. That's, no, I seriously, I mean, I didn't, you'd have to ask somebody that's in the know, but I don't think that's true. So you guys as in the reds are coming up and playing in the field of dreams game, which is yeah. uh, really cool. I think first off, have you, have you seen the movie? Have I? Yes. I've seen the movie too many times. <laughs> so I learned, Go ahead. Yes. I, I learned no, this last I, year not to not to just assume because a lot of the White Sox guys like hadn't seen it. I'm like, how have you not seen Field of Dreams? So I just wanted to make yeah. sure you have seen it. Oh yeah. Did you watch it last year? Are you pumped to be a part of it this year? It's a really cool thing. You know, I don't baseball watching baseball games to me is I don't want to say stressful. I'd say more I'm not in the place in my life where I get to like really enjoy a baseball game. So I don't just tune in for baseball's sake. I, I may watch a particular matchup or if I want to watch a particular hitter or a particular pitcher. But um, I, I just don't watch a lot of baseball in my free time. I just need, I feel the need to get away. Um, so I didn't watch it, but I saw the highlights and I saw the intrigue and it made me happy that there was so much interest and it was so well done. And that's what, that's what, um, baseball is all about, you know, entertaining and giving the fans what they want. And I look forward to this year's, you know, I can't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, um, to playing at that field and taking in the experience. And, you know, the, the movie is a significant movie for me. I mean, my father and I played catch together, similar to the, the, you know, the, the, essentially the core of the movie. Yeah. Uh, my father passed away almost uh, four, 14 years ago. So there's that um, parallel. And um, I, you know, we had maybe uh, maybe 10, 20 VHS movies and a bunch of Disney movies on VHS. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the few movies I watched pretty consistently. You know, it'd be like, uh, you know, Field of Dreams and Top Gun and whatever. And we'd watch that, you know, pretty consistently. So I, I know the movie very well. And um, yeah, so. It is without fail. Every time I watch it, I cry. I'm a softy. I get emotional about things. I watch it. The father and son play catch on the field and I just yeah. lose it. Yeah. Um, so that is coming up. I'm, 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 I'll, I'll see you there. I'm pumped to watch you play in that. Oh, and looking then, forward to it. Good. Yep, I'll be out there. And then shortly after that, well, not shortly after, in the off season, right before next year. I don't know if you've announced, but you have played in it before. The World Baseball Classic is this year. Are you playing in it yeah. again this year? I, I don't know yet, but I don't. I think there's a pretty good chance I will. Yeah, I, I'll have to look at the roster, and not so much the roster. I'll just like I just need to just look at the. I don't know. I haven't looked at it yet. I'm busy trying to get hits now. <laughs> just so. trying to get knocks. <laughs> Seriously. How much fun have you had playing in those in the past? I mean, it looks awesome. I had a good time. I just wanted to, I was most excited about moving in deeper into the, the tournament. And um, we, we, we've been knocked out a couple of times. I played for Canada in 2009, I believe in 2013. 
And then I passed on 17, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I want to want to be a part of a winning team. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I it's a really interesting tournament because um, there's so many different cities. You know, there's there's obviously, you know, the the American cities and then uh, the Asian cities. So, uh, you know, it really excites me. Um seeing the fans and seeing the reactions in in those particular in all the in all the different cities so i i get excited about that i i don't know where where this tournament is being held i i if i'm not mistaken there's tokyo and then arizona and miami is there a korean it, yeah korea what city uh, seoul uh i don't think it's seoul i don't know off the top of my head i, I saw it recently but i do not believe it's seoul yeah. So there's yeah. Korea, Sorry. there's Tokyo. I don't, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to say only Seoul. You know, I, there's, yeah. <laughs> and then beyond that, do they, where, where do they go after that? Uh, so then in America, it's Arizona and Miami. And then the like last few rounds take place in Miami. That's where the championship, the quarters and all. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. We're playing there right now. I, I really like this stadium. So that's good. So. I got a few fun questions for you to finish up, and that that kind of leads well into this. You like that stadium in your career? Where is your favorite place to go visit and to play? Um, I always answer, "There's not. I don't have a favorite, and not because I'm trying to be um, general, because the major leagues they do such a good job." Um, making the fan experience special and every stadium you know how can i say that i love dodger stadium but i also like um the giant stadium um i i i've had great times at uh at, at the toronto's rogers center but then also um i love our home ballpark um you know i it's it's you know what we play inside of a division with with some of the most beautiful, you know, Wrigley Field is so pretty and so historic. It just came from Fenway, but but then we get to go to Pittsburgh. That is one of the most beautiful skylines, and it's a fun stadium to play at. And then the Cardinal Stadium is just so pretty also. It just I don't want to say I have a favorite because I don't have a favorite. I'd be dishonest if I was if I said that there was a, there was a you know a best option to go to. I you know it's it's um it's a it's a very cool league and uh each stadium has their own personality we get taken care of really well behind the scenes um and um yeah there there's there's just too many to name so yeah so you mentioned the cardinal stadium you've played there a million times in your career they're in the same division meaning for the majority of your career you've gotten to play a lot of games against albert pujols so you play first yeah. base. You've obviously run into each other a bunch. I want to know your best Albert Pujols story. Um, so Albert was um, in his like prime, 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 like heyday mm-hmm. Albert where he was winning most valuable players. And he was the best player in the sport at the time. And so we're in St. Louis. And it was the first time I'd been called up. Yeah, no, 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 no. It was my first full rookie season. Okay. And I believe Albert won the most valuable player that year in 08. And, um, and so I'm at first base 
and Albert's hitting and he hits a double down the left field line. And they had, I believe, clinched the playoff spot and they were, you know, going to the playoffs and they were a strong club. And he gets to second base and Tony LaRusso, I mean, who's a um, Hall of Fame manager, uh, calls him in. It was the fifth inning, I believe. Mm-hmm. Calls him in and, uh, it, you know, allows the, the, the mutual respect between the player and the, the crowd to uh, be, be at the forefront, you know? And, and so he's, he gives in, goes in the dugout, there's a standing ovation. He comes out and I just remember him coming out, facing the crowd on the top step or even pat onto the, onto the dirt, taking his hat off and looking at like the crowd and how like the entire stadium was giving him an ovation. He was standing there. So I was watching one of the greatest players of all time, his stat line, which was like 359, 36, and like 136. Um, I'm at first base. Like I have the best view of this, you know, portrait. And I remember thinking to myself, like, there's a moment where you're like, oh my God, I can't do that. Like, I don't think I can do that. I don't know if I'll ever be that. But then there's another part that's like, I want that. And so I'm watching him and he goes back in the dugout. I just remember feeling to myself like this is a special moment. This is very distinct. This is not going to happen a lot in your career. And it's true. It hasn't happened. I don't know if it's ever happened. I mean, I remember Manny Ramirez hitting a grand slam on Manny Ramirez bobblehead day and he was pinch hit first pitch. It was like he came out. I remember that being a pretty poignant moment. But, you know, Albert in St. Louis was was very, very distinct. And um, yeah, it's. It's funny. It was a really cool moment. Do you have an ability? I feel like I've tried to do this in my life. Do you have an ability? And it sounds like you do to like realize you're in a moment while it's happening and appreciate it. Maybe I don't think I have an ability any better than anybody else, but (laughs) that was a pretty, pretty distinct moment where, you know, I, I read about Albert. I watched his hitting film. I, admired the best player in the game how could you not he played at my position yeah and um i got to see him at his peak in front of a peak crowd in a peak moment you know it was just you know you knew that he won the most valuable player you knew he was the best player in the game you knew he just completed another fantastic season it may have been in 2009 i don't remember i don't remember but yeah so he was a uh Pretty fantastic, pretty pretty fantastic player. Still is, but um, that was a, that was his prime. In your career, sixteen years now, a lot of All Star games, MVP award. Who has been your toughest pitcher to face? Who's the toughest guy you've had to hit off of? CC Sabathia was tough, really tough. Um, he was a he's a big man, mm-hmm. and he threw really hard at the time, like clearly harder than any left-handers I was facing. Most left-handers were like nine, 87 to 92. Mm-hmm. He would pitch 94 to 98. A little wild, big, big curveball, big slider, um, like felt like a crossover, felt like he was on you, felt like he was throwing behind you. He'd hit you, um, <laughs> you know, big man. It's not like, he, you know, he didn't care, uh, strike you out uh just dominant just a dominant pitcher and um 
he was mostly intimidating because of how distinct his stuff was relative to other left-handers and how his the way his body moved coming towards you. It was just it was just a tough at bat because it was so 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 different so different. So I faced him in Cleveland and I hit a couple balls hard, maybe even just one ball hard. I don't remember. But then I faced him in Milwaukee. It's funny. So Dusty Baker asked me on September 9th, Hey, I think I'm going to give you a day off tomorrow. CC's pitching. And I go, no, I want to face him. And he's like, that's your birthday tomorrow. You know, like chill, enjoy your birthday. And I'm like, no, I want to face him. And he starts me and uh, there were shadows like Milwaukee can be rough when the shadows are when when it's a day game and the shot the sun hits the glass and then it's very tough so I couldn't see him mm-hmm. and he struck me all four times <laughs> <laughs> and and I remember thinking I never think I don't I wish I'd taken the day off but I was like oh man that birthday sucks <laughs> That's great. Um, so, Joey, before I let you go, first off, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. But I, I want to ask you, like, if you had a piece of advice or, or words of wisdom for people growing up playing the game, what would it be? What would your piece of advice be? Um, so I know I said I played with um, a lot of anger, but I also practiced with a lot of joy. Practice has always been easy for me. Um, I have always like gone to the park early. I remember in the minor leagues, I hit on the, I, you know, I, I'd show up to the park at like 11, 12 o'clock and hit by myself, you know, if I wasn't, if I needed more work or something. And it was never work. Everything, my entire life has been built around baseball, I, but it's never felt like work. And uh, I probably uh, swing too much or take too many reps. It's something I've been working on, but it's never felt like work. And so to me, um, I think advice would be like lean into that. If you're a fortunate person that, that really loves this and really enjoys it, then lean into that. And, and, and the younger you are, the more you know, gas you have in the tank the more time you have, the, the easier it is to recover, the more you can mold yourself into what you want to be and lean into that and enjoy it. It's, it's a craft. You know, it's something that um, uh, if you get, if you get the opportunity to do it, uh, do it your very best and, and, um, and give it your all because you only get one, one window of time to, to try and I feel that way, you know, this is my 20th, maybe even 21st professional season, 16th major league season. And every day is built around uh, baseball. And I feel great joy from that. I'm thankful for that. But I, I, I know we're speaking right now, but in the back of my head, all I can think about is that first at bat today or the practice work or how I want to make sure that I refine my style to make sure that it's 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 repeatable each and every day i want to perform well i want to perform in a in a reds uniform so i feel grateful so yeah that's that's my advice well 
That's awesome, and I appreciate you sharing that. And thank you so much for joining me, man. This has been so much fun, a really good conversation. You're a Hall of Famer on the field, in my opinion, but a Hall of Famer off of it as well, and I don't say that lightly. So thank you so much for joining me. You're a friend of the pod forever, and uh, I appreciate it a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Thanks. See See you. All right, I just wanted to thank Joey Votto again for joining me. Man, that was awesome. That was one of my favorite conversations I've had here on this show. He is an incredible human, and to peel back the layers a little bit, to get inside his head, to hear about his approach, the mental game, his journey to the big leagues, um, that was really, really cool for me, and I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. This was an absolute blast. Again, Joey Votto, thank you for joining me. So that does it for another episode of Flippin' Bats. This one has been a lot of fun. Make sure you like, subscribe anywhere you're listening to your podcast. Flippin' Bats Pod, Apple, Spotify, Google, all of that good stuff. We're also on all social media. So is Joey Votto. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. And you can watch every episode as well on YouTube at Flippin' Bats Pod for all of them. I hope you all enjoyed this one. This has been a blast, and I will see you next time for another episode of Flippin' Bats. Peace.